Hello and welcome to the Upstream Podcast. To find out more about our courses and classes, please follow the link in the episode information box. In this podcast, I'd like to talk about two poems, Tim Burton's Roy the Toxic Boy and Hilaire Belloc's poem Jim. Both poems are part of an odd tradition that weaves together the warnings of traditional fairy tales and the wish to avoid, often ironically, uh, sentimentalising childhood. Children's literature, as I have observed in another podcast, is a relatively recent genre. Until the 18th century, it hardly existed. Yet now, along with that other great innovation of the time, the novel, it's one of the most vibrant and financially profitable forms of modern writing. But whereas today's child can choose from novels about magic, spies, romance or gritty social realism, and poetry on the most light-hearted and serious topics, children in the past had far less variety. Children's literature evolved as a form of moral instruction or didactic support. Victorian notions of family and social correctness were expounded through verse and tales intended to persuade cajole, or even scare children into behaving appropriately. One of Alice's recitations in Alice in Wonderland is a direct parody of Southey's moral lesson, Father William, in which a child's innocent questions prompt a catalogue of knowledge and wisdom graciously imparted by a wise old man. In parodying this poem, Lewis Carroll was showing the way in which a mixture of mischievousness and the absurd are actually ideal for children's literature. Carol entered the realm of the surreal and nonsensical. Since Alice, there's been no looking back. Perhaps because children are open to all kinds of fantastic ideas and setting, or because there's something inherently absurd about a posturing adult trying to get on a child's wavelength, the strange, surreal and comic have become a staple of children's literature albeit in competition with the more traditional, softer approach. In some ways, contrasting Tim Burton's animated films with Disney creations epitomises two schools of thought. The Nightmare Before Christmas and The Corpse Bride are two Burton films that play with death and the macabre and introduce many adult topics, so much so that one could argue they are not really intended for children. Despite Bambi's mum and Dumbo's social ostracism, I don't think you can really argue that Disney films are really made for grown-ups or deal with disturbing issues. But these larger issues can be saved for another time. By focusing on the narrower tradition of morally instructive nonsense verse, I think we can see how Burton invigorates a type of moral poem and uses it to describe experiences of teenage alienation and crises of identity. But first, Belloc's poem. From the earliest 20th century, it tells the sad tale of Jim. Jim. There was a boy whose name was Jim. His friends were very good to him. They gave him tea and cakes and jam and slices of delicious ham and chocolate with pink inside and little tricycles to ride and read him stories through and through and even took him to the zoo. But there it was the dreadful fate befell him which I now relate. You know, 
or at least you ought to know, for I have often told you so, the children never are allowed to leave their nurses in a crowd. Now this was Jim's special foible. He ran away when he was able, and on this inauspicious day he slipped his hand and ran away. He hadn't gone a yard when, bang, with open jaws, a lion sprang, and hungrily began to eat the boy, beginning at his feet. Now just imagine how it feels when first your toes and then your heels, and then by gradual degrees your shin and ankles, calves and knees, are slowly eaten bit by bit. No wonder Jim detested it. No wonder that he shouted, Hi! The honest keeper heard his cry, though very fat he almost ran to help the little gentleman. Ponto, he ordered as he came, for Ponto was the lion's name. Ponto, he cried with angry frown, let go, sir, down, sir, put it down. The lion made a sudden stop. He let the dainty morsel drop and slunk reluctant to his cage, snarling with disappointed rage. But when he bent him over Jim, the honest keeper's eyes were dim. The lion having reached his head, the miserable boy was dead. When Nurse informed his parents, they were more concerned than I can say. His mother, as she dried her eyes, said, Well, it gives me no surprise. He would not do as he was told. His father, who was self-controlled, bade all the children round attend to James's miserable end. And always keep a hold of Nurse for fear of finding something worse. It's a playful, amusing poem. Despite the potentially gruesome central scene of Jim being eaten by a lion, the polite language and tone of the moral tale keeps it at a safe distance from the really macabre. The message, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, is clear for all. The comedy probably comes through the contrast between the event and the language used. Jim shouts hi as he's being eaten, the father is self-control, and tells the other to listen to the moral of this incident. It's a typical, witty, playful poem in the instructive comic genre. Tim Burton's characters, in his splendid collection, The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy, personify the pain of adolescence. They include Stain Boy, a mock superhero who leaves a nasty stain wherever he goes, Bree Boy, who smells, Sue, who sniffs glue, the girl who turned into a bed, and many others. And there's Roy, the toxic boy. To those who knew him, his friends, we called him Roy. To others he was known as that horrible toxic boy. He loved ammonia and asbestos and lots of cigarette smoke. What he breathed in for air would make most people choke. His very favourite toy was a can of aerosol spray. He'd sit quietly and shake it and spray it all the day. He'd stand inside of the garage in the early morning frost waiting for the car to start, and fill him with exhaust. The one and only time I ever saw Toxic Boy cry was when some sodium chloride got into his eye. One day, for fresh air, they put him in the garden. His face went deadly pale, and his body began to harden. The final gasp of his short life was sickly with despair. Whoever thought that you could die from breathing outdoor air? As Roy's soul left his body, we all said a silent prayer. It drifted up to heaven and left a hole in the ozone layer. Like Jim, Roy doesn't follow the rules. He doesn't fit in. 
His life, seen by most people, is strange and revolting. Like Jim, he dies as a direct consequence of his difference. But Burton's poem is radically different from Belloc's. There's no judgment, no moral, no revulsion. To others he was horrible, but to his friends just Roy. They, whether that's his parents or society, kill him by trying to change him. Left alone, he is just Roy, doing what he likes to do. Burton makes a real effort to respect the contradiction that an adult is writing about an adolescent's experience, particularly by avoiding any moral intention, and creates a group of characters who remind adults that the world of teenagers is alien to those who are outside it, in time or mind. And amidst the surreal imagery and weird worlds of Burton's children, is really a plea for comprehension. If you have been, thank you for listening.